You're listening to Wake Up Tucson. This podcast is a Bustos Media production on The Voice. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So on Sherry Harrison's Law Matters on Saturdays at KVI, 7 o'clock, um, we uh, was the first debate between uh, Dr. Ed Ackerley and Zach, okay? And um, Which is kind of interesting because they're both, it's not like they're vying for a primary spot. They're both on the ballot if they qualify. And, and as Sherry said, she did invite the mayor and never got a response. Ah, okay. I was wondering about that. So... Um, like, I mean, that's like Rahina's nightmare to be on a show that showcases and supports police. The word law in the no, title law of the matters. show. Law matters. <laughs> so with the words law matters, there's two people having a seizure, Conover and uh, freaking uh, Rahina. Um, <laughs> um, I will tell you that um, Zach was Zach. Word salad, word salad, word salad, word salad, word salad. Um, here's the thing. He's so tone deaf, Zach, that when Sherry asked priority, what's the first thing um, facing Tucson problem you would tackle? Ed Ackerley said crime. Crime, lawlessness, we need more cops. I mean, you guys have heard all these individuals and business owners being basically picked apart by drug criminals. Zach is leading with affordable housing. Well, Zach, if we're just going to lead with affordable housing, why don't we just leave Romero there? She, that's her priority too. And for you to keep tripling down on that loser notion is you, you're not ready for prime time. Remember I keep telling you that Zach's a narcissist, right? And everyone's like, oh, he's a good Christian. There's Christian narcissists. Don't, don't you worry, okay? Sherry asked the question, would, would you ever like a building or like street or named after you? Ed immediately said no. Zach said, well, I guess if I did a good job, I'd like one named after me. What? It was telling. When the question first came up, I thought they were both going to say no and go, that wasn't a great question. Yeah, next question, please. Right? Yeah. And then, you know, Zach wanted to be uh, get a baby extra library named, for, named after him. Um, uh, my buddy Don did a great job breaking this down on um, the Wake Up Tucson private discussion group. Uh, 16 minutes, quote, space housing Zach, no mention of police in his one-year plan. These guys think the mayor has this all under control. Um, they talked about, uh, oh, um, so Sherry asked about the security detail that follows the mayor around, right, which is made of somewhere between two and four cops, but two at a, always at one time following around. So this started with Jonathan uh, had uh, death threats when he was mayor, and then he kept it, and then... Uh, she, and then she just, I think she, she I think it makes, I, 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 again, if she's had, cre- someone needs to ask her, have you had credible death threats, uh, Ms. Romero? Love to hear that. So when, um, when they asked, uh, Zach and Ed, Ed immediately said, no, put the two cops back on the street serving Tucsonans. And Zach said, no, I, I'd keep the two cops following me around. What, what, are, what are we doing here? Um, the, um, and again, Zach is all, oh, so is, what's the first thing you do when you get into office, Right. Ed basically said, I'm going to sit down with the uh, city manager, go through the budget, and see how we can hire more cops. Zach said development services. Development services? Now, don't get me wrong. There's no there's no two people better than Chris and Joe Higgins who knows about, who've talked about development services at the city. But right now, right now, you're going to... See, the reason why Zach says development services, he doesn't have the guts. He's always been a chicken on this, Right to criticize the council for their crappy votes, right? Matt, remind me the name of the people that want, uh, it's the affordable housing project company that people live in shipping containers. Remember those people? What was the name of those people? I don't know, but they moved their headquarters to Denver. Correct. Because Tucson couldn't get four votes to give them a rezone on Speedway and Stone. Correct. Let me say that again. Speedway and Stone. One of the worst drug criminal intersections in Tucson, and these guys wanted to bring affordable housing projects coming out of the U of A. This is a U of A startup company, and they couldn't do it in their own hometown, affordable housing. But when I heard Zach say, oh, hey, bro, we're going to just, we're, first thing, we got to fix, we're going to fix development services. Again, so imagine if you're the guy at Edmonds Automotive. I'll keep bringing it because he was one of the, the worst examples of, of being a victim, right? This is the guy whose mechanic uh, got jumped by a fentanyl drug guy 
and tried to shove uh, a fentanyl thing down his throat against his will. And he's listening to Zach go, uh, I'm sure he's looking at his phone. Uh, yeah, uh, let's go. Uh, first thing we got to work on is uh, development services. Oh, my Lord. Yes, sir. One area that I thought that Mr. Ackerley did a nice job was, uh, I can't remember the exact question, but it had to do with uh, should the mayor interject themselves and do ongoing investigations. And I think, um, uh, you know, I think Zach kind of missed the point and Ed actually picked up on one area, tied it back to an area where the mayor did interject herself into an ongoing investigation being naked, coked up guy correct on the southeast side yeah and so that was a good pickup by ed because I, I think he understood where where um the implication a local implicate a good local implication of where that question went and i think that is a great example of where the mayor um got involved in something that i think was uh not appropriate for her to get involved in oh remember she talks more about everything else right she's more into that's the, the more the stuff that she's locally into right is the stuff that she's interjecting her yeah. on on these kind of things that maybe she should kind of keep her powder dry, but spends most of the time complaining about national stuff. Well, look at what she did. She interjected herself into police business. That's one thing. Yep. Something that the police department had already investigated and put behind them. That's another thing. Um, and so remember, magically... Trying to make a national issue a Tucson issue. Correct. Right? Correct. And um, Remember, magically, I assume she uh, forced Magnus because she definitely, you know... Uh, held the leash around his throat to re-try uh, the uh, three cops in the kangaroo court and force them to resign. Correct. The three cops that were initially cleared. Correct. So Right? Yep. Um, Sherry asked him, will you have a youth advisory council? Zachary, uh, yes, I will have Zach serve on it. Nice Reagan-esque kind of answer. That was good. Yeah. Um, the um, closing statements, Zach, why do people leave? Affordability then goes off his scorecard. Housing, this is from Don, housing concerned people leaving 70% homeless causing housing thinks he has cross, he has cross general, general, generational support. Um, again, so again, Zach was just as weak as we all thought and he was showed a little bit of his narcissistic side uh, in this. I keep telling you, He's more narcissistic than you think. And it came up when he asked, when he answered the question about the cops, but also really the question of, yeah, I, if they, if I do a good job, they can name a building or a road after me. I, you know, I wasn't, I, I, I didn't know why even, even bid on that question. So why, why go there? All right. One more segment with Dr. D Filippo. Let's go through this. Okay. This is huge. Oh, this I love is, this. this is absolutely disgusting. Let me say that again. Disgusting. <laughs> Oh, that's even worse. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Agenda item 21, the behavioral insights contract. Let me just tell you, let me read from the agenda item report what this is about. This is, got to pay attention here. This is good. This is a contract to the Behavioral Insights, Inc., doing business as Behavioral Insights Team. <laughs> and it says here, the Pima County Health Department is interested in improving uptake of COVID-19 vaccines in Pima County among, are you ready, Hispanic Latina women. Pima County Health Department has been working with the community partner, Miranda Health Center, to identify and address barriers faced by their clients in accessing, understanding, and acting upon COVID-19 information. The health department has worked with two contractors to learn from consumers what these barriers are and pilot potential solutions. Therefore, this behavioral insights team is going to be responsible for providing expertise to assess health behavior changes in the system, the design and evaluation of the pilot program, so the effectiveness of the project can be determined. You know what that means? We got to get those Hispanic and Latino women vaccinated because they are not taking the vaccination. Pima County Health Department, did you ever stop to ask why the Latina and Hispanic women do not want to be vaccinated. I talk to them all the time. They think it's poison. Yes, they do not want that. That's exactly what the, the, the ladies I've talked to. Yes. They think it's poison. Hands down. Hands down. They do. They, it's not a matter of misinformation. These people know full well what's going on. So think about this. is What they're saying is 
The Latinos, Latinas, are an ignorant group yes. of savages who don't know any better. Just that's disgusting. what they're saying by this. Just disgusting, and that we yes, yes, must Matt. anybody who's wanted a vaccine for well over well for over a year now, two years. Two when, years. when was it available? It was available this time in 2021. Correct. Yes. You can. You can. If, you they're, can go if, they're, to the if they're not on it now, they ain't doing it. Yes. But the idea is they're underestimating and insulting the Latina uh, women of this, this community Amen. by saying you're a bunch of dumb, dumb, basically uh, Hispanic rednecks who don't know who any you, better. You don't know any better. We're going to tell you what you need to do, and this is what you Amen. need to do. I, I think this is just, this is hypocrisy. You know how we opened it on the aspect of discussing hypocrisy? This is the ultimate example of hypocrisy. Imagine if Chris, the radio show host, said, you know, Latina women are too ignorant to go to understand blank. Oh, let's get right? Don they, Lemon out they here. Would, they, would, they would crucify me rightly. Yeah. yeah. They can do it as a whole government, and it's cool. Yes. So It's, just, it's disgusting how they couch this under, ma- making it look like under a smoke it's like, screen. It's like Don Lemon. In charge of uh, health policy at Pima <laughs> yeah. County. Now, hey, hey, maybe he'll get on the national search let's list. Let's take this to an even more comedic level. So, our Stiletto Consulting got me thinking about the address of this company we're hiring to do this. The Canadian address. All right, that's for Stiletto. Did you see okay. where Behavioral Insights oh, is from? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. this is perfect for a guy like me. We have to hire the Behavioral Insights, doing DBA Behavioral Insights team, one doc, 72-way, south floor, seventh floor, suite 08-114, and thank Jesus, Brooklyn, Brooklyn New York. New York. <laughs> what in the world are we doing? Yeah, we understand the Latino women, and we know how to talk to them about the vaccine. Well, not only that, here's the project. It's, it's called Behavioral Economics Design for Health Literacy Project. Excuse me, <laughs> but I believe that the Hispanic and Latino women know exactly... They don't need some hyped-up, bogus literacy project to tell them they don't want this in their body. Hiring people from Brooklyn, Brooklyn. New York... To educate Latina women about, Latinas about vaccines. I mean, is this a Mighty Python skit? Yes. Hey, uh, come over here. Hey, I can see these two guys like in a tent, right? Over on like uh, Speedway and Grande. Hey, come over here. Hey, we're going to make you an offer you can't refuse about the vaccine. Hey, Gino, Rocco, talk to Lapita about a vaccine over here, huh? Yes. I mean, uh, I, you I, couldn't make that up. I, I, I mean, it, it makes you look at it and it's as if they're saying Hispanic and Latino women are incapable of thinking for themselves. They are incapable if we were tr- of determining if, if what we were, can If go we were somehow body. tripping on hallucinogenics, both of you, we couldn't come up with the scenario of hiring, hiring bros from Brooklyn, yeah. right, <laughs> well, to go inform Latinas about vaccines. Remember... Is our constitution colorblind or what? That's what the Dems said. Hey, it's uh, this hypocrisy you're talking about, Joanne. You don't know what you're talking about, huh? But all people of color are the same color, right? According to them. Get your vaccines or we're going to break your face. Yes. Hey, thanks for a nice time. Okay, great. Thank you. So see you Monday. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Dr. Filippo. If you listen to this show, we've tried to bring you the best reality coverage of uh, that anyone can uh, in Tucson, Arizona, with the various guests we've had, all the all the work we've done with uh, Michael Beatrice on looking through real numbers and things like that, and a gentleman who I've looked forward to having on the show, and he's on today, and uh, he has a book out there that's uh, called uh, "The Lies My Government Told Me," uh, and his name is Dr. Robert Malone. Dr. Malone, welcome to the show, sir. Hi, Chris. Thanks a lot for having me. Of course, you, you came on my radar from the Rogan interview. I'm sure you've heard that 80 zillion times in your life. Uh, why? Yeah, fist, fist bumps from 20-something young men <laughs> is uh, not usually part of my life. <laughs> and um, so, and, I, and before we went to break, I gave everyone the Dr. Malone background, so we don't have to do that now for anyone who may not know who you are. So why why are that there's so many questions I have for you but why why was that the moment that you decided to go out wide and sit down with Joe for so long and and go over what you know what you were experiencing and 
kind of giving your your uh, your insight on a lot of the bad decisions that were coming out of NIH and other places. Well, I'd already been speaking quite a bit, and since the original Brett Weinstein Dark Horse podcast, um, that was uh, How to Save the World with Steve Kirsch, I had increasingly come out historically as a consultant running a consulting shop largely focused on uh, government and D.C. and kind of working at the interface between uh, Beltway Bandits and and uh, the biopharmaceutical complex and the military in particular, I'd kept my head down. But I really had to speak out about what was going on, about the uh, failure to follow any kind of a norms in uh, testing of these agents before they were put into humans, and the uh, clear breaches of bioethics. Once I started talking about that, then, of course, I got hammered by the press, and they were also uh, busy hammering me because of uh, the efforts to lobby for the Nobel Prize for Carrico and Weissman. And I was kind of inconveniently in the way on that uh, by virtue of my early publications and patents. Uh, So... I'd already kind of gone down the road of speaking out, and uh, Peter McCullough had been on not too long before that, talking sure. about early treatment. And Joe had, of course, talked about taking ivermectin himself together with antibodies, et cetera, and recovering quickly from his COVID to the, the great uh, teeth gnashing of uh, the corporate media all across the United States and the world. Uh, and then I got a call to uh, go on Rogan in particular to uh, announce and advocate for the uh, protest, the Stop the Mandates protest in Washington, D.C. on the Lincoln Memorial, which was the first major protest that had happened after uh, the uh, post-election events uh, that we called, I think, January 6th. Uh, And a lot of people were really scared about what was going to happen there whether the government was going to crack down on us, whether we were going to have infiltrators, Proud Boys, other bad actors involved in that. And Rogan invited me on, his team, and uh, we just sat down and talked. It was Joe that was driving that interview. I was very much in the moment. He's a, an amazing American, uh, and, and he's genuine, which is what, of course, Americans are hungering for after years and years and years of this digested pablum that we call corporate media, where everything is spun and positioned and advertised and and marketed, um, people that are actually just genuine, uh, it's a revolutionary act. And this is why Joe Rogan's audience has exploded. And we just sat and talked. It wasn't any particular agenda other than um, I was counseled to be very much in the moment, just focus on Joe and uh, answer his questions. And I did so in a calm, straightforward way. Yeah, I thought you did a good job in the, you did the Joe Friday, you stayed to just the facts. Anytime you got into, can you give us some insight? You're like, I don't know what other people were thinking. I thought you did a very nice job with that. Um, so let, let's get to the, the book is The Lies My Government Told Me and A Better Future Coming. Let's talk about the lies my government told me. Give me I know there's lots. <laughs> yeah, one of the criticisms of the book is it's too short. Uh, <laughs> it had been twice the length, but Skyhorse Publishing said that uh, the only people that would buy it at twice the length were people that needed doorstops. Uh, so it got edited down. Um, And, uh, of course, the lies are uh, legion. Uh, The lies about the lockdowns, the lies about the social distancing, that was all arbitrary. The lies about mask uh, effectiveness that are still ongoing. The school shutdowns, the masking of children, the denial of early treatment, uh, the whole safe and effective narrative that is just completely crumbled and... uh, we now have, have on record people like uh, Rochelle Walensky and Deborah Burke saying that, well, we didn't know that it was going to be safe and effective, but we hoped that it would. Uh, and, and the suppression, <laughs> most egregiously, the suppression of early treatments and the, uh, the propaganda and censorship around that and uh, also the gaslighting uh, and censorship of any people that 
were discussing their own vaccine harms. That was considered disallowed speech. I mean, imagine if you're somebody, whether or not you actually have had a harm from a vaccine, you believe that you have, and a number of those people did. There's, it's incontrovertible. And uh, what you're faced with is your family, your coworkers, the media, big tech, are all telling you that you're psychotic, that this couldn't possibly have happened, that there aren't any vaccine harms, that they're truly safe and effective based on minimalist clinical trials, no long-term follow-up. It was all propaganda. And these poor souls are sitting there vaccine injured, being told that they're crazy. It is the most ugly thing I've ever seen in my life in medicine. So I want to I want to I, I want to go to I got to go to break for a few few of our advertisers. I want to come back and continue the conversation, but I want to verify a quote that I think you said to Joe, and then I want to talk about whatever the correct quote is. I think you said again. Correct me, Doctor Malone. Everyone knows Tony Fauci's a liar. Is that was that an accurate quote from the Rogan interview? Uh, I don't know if it was in the Rogan interview, but I've said it many times. All right, let's let's talk about that line when we come back. We're hanging out and catching up with Dr. Robert Malone. Check out Lies My Government Told Me. It's on Amazon. And if you're one of the people that are on Team COVID Reality, like a lot of us are listening to the show, I would encourage you to go get it. We're talking to Dr. Robert Malone. You're on Wake Up Tucson, 1030 The Voice, local news and talk. We're talking to Dr. Robert Malone. The book is Lies My Government Told Me and a Better Future Coming. Dr. Malone, thanks for holding on. I appreciate it, sir. Yes, sir. Hey, Chris, before we jump into it, yes, sir. I just wanted to share with your listeners that our book, Ed Dowd's book called Cause Unknown, The Epidemic of Sudden Deaths in 2021 and 2022, and the Bobby Kennedy book, The Real Anthony Fauci, are all available on Kindle until next Monday. So ebook versions are all available free through Amazon. And so you've got a window oh, wow. here for those that don't want to spend money to go ahead and grab <laughs> that because we want the information to be available to everybody. Um, so when you said that everyone knows Tony Fauci's a liar, explain, explain that in a little more depth, please. So I've spent my whole career uh, around Tony Fauci and really underneath him as he controls pretty much the entire biomedical apparatus in the United States in terms of my area of infectious disease, vaccines, medical countermeasures. And he, he, the rules have never applied to Tony. The rules that I have to abide by if I'm not going to get a warning or reprimand letter or be blocked from continuing doing clinical research uh, by the FDA, they've never applied to Tony. He can break the blind. He can disclose information on clinical trials. He can say whatever he wants. And uh, Tony operates with the, the kind of the landscape and capabilities of a trained CIA officer. He uses a lot of the same techniques of limited hangouts and deflection. And um, we've seen that even at the level of his testimony in the Senate, of course, where, for instance, he denied the, uh, the, the clear truth that gain-of-function research was performed under NIH funding at the Wuhan Institute of Virology in the creation of this pathogen that we call SARS-CoV-2. That's, that's pretty well widely accepted consensus now. The only dissent seems to mostly be around whether or not it actually occurred in the Wuhan Institute of Virology or there are some uh, in other nations, uh, particularly other intelligence services, that assert that, that much of this actually took place in some of the Ukraine biolabs. As far as I'm concerned, that's unsubstantiated rumor, but it is uh, widely discussed in in other countries, not in the United States. Is there anyone still but running around? Is there is there anyone history. still running around talking about wet markets, Doctor Malone? Not to my knowledge. Okay. Uh, the only ones that would be are people that are really fully in on trying to promote propaganda. Gotcha. Uh, but but in terms of the Lancet Commission, uh, the 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 edge is. Um, really not a question of whether or not uh, the NIH was involved in gain-of-function research uh, in offshore to circumvent the Obama uh, diktat to not perform gain-of-function research, gain research domestically. Uh, 
or or whether there was even more nefarious activity that that's kind of out on the edge right now but in terms of tony uh tony has really operated more like a, a kind of a cabal that he's built over many years just to illustrate uh you're familiar with carico and weissman the people that assert that they are the ones that invented the rna vaccine technology and concept and uh sought the nobel prize for that drew weissman is a tony fauci postdoc you're familiar with deborah burks sure. deborah burks is a tony fauci postdoc um tony fauci has built a power empire the likes of which has never been seen in science before and he's untouchable he can do and say whatever he wants and he does and by the way you can hire him now that he's retired um his speaker <laughs> fee is 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 uh between fifty thousand and one hundred thousand dollars per appearance the um so let's talk about all the things we should have been doing developing vaccines that we decided to skip uh in trying to develop these mra and again you're the one of the main inventors of mrna vaccine technology explain to everyone what what we should have been doing i know we were rushing there was the politics of vaccines what were, what were the things the that fear. we and the fear right the fear what, was actively promoted um we we had we had politicians as well as the population scared silly by what we now know was really chinese propaganda why was it chinese explain the explain the chinese propaganda side after you you just said it just real quick so you'll recall back in january and february we were seeing these videos uh through the internet and otherwise on corporate media of people dropping dead in the street mass graves rapid build out of a hospital because it was so overwhelming the uh patient load um people walking around in full hazmat suits in china all the lockdowns excessive masking people basically walking around in physical bubbles in order to do their shopping all of that was propaganda and it's not clear at the present where exactly that was coming from of course that's classic fifth gen warfare is you never know who's really pushing this stuff but all of that propaganda was taken into the white house and to leadership across the west as a true reality and that's what drove a lot of this overreaction even mr gates now acknowledges that this was all a gross overreaction to a virus that was nowhere near as pathogenic as was believed but that's that's what this propaganda was and it absolutely originated in china uh what we don't know is who exactly was pushing it but it's undeniable how many people have you seen dying in the streets in tucson not many how many how many times have you seen uh public health officials walking around in hazmat suits scooping up bodies like a scene from monty python bring out your dead um sorry that didn't happen uh how many times did you see the hospitals overwhelmed in fact what you saw is dancing physicians and nurses uh the uh propaganda of these broadway like productions that were funded by the government um all kinds of lies and and misinformation that was really psyops that was deployed on the american populist for 3 years constantly uh that's what i'm talking about what was let's go back to my original question of uh steps steps that we skipped developing va- vaccines mrna vaccines yeah so when i when i got that call from wuhan from a cia officer on january 4th of 2020 asking me to get uh my team spun up one of the first things that i did which i always do in these outbreaks because i have a long history of leading teams in between the government and industry to address the problems of these outbreaks i did a threat assessment and my my determination was that the best solution uh, available within a reasonable timeline was repurposing drugs and i proceeded on that with you know eventually hundreds of millions of dollars from dod to help support those drug repurposing efforts using the latest technology but uh the decision was made in the white house uh under the influence of Burks, Fauci, etc. and the national security apparatus uh including the CIA which has been the big promoter of the RNA tech uh 
all the way through. That's undeniable through their uh, developmental arm called DARPA. Uh, they decided that they only wanted to have the vaccines, not early treatment. And uh, they, they decided on a policy of administering what's a known worldwide as a toxic drug, remdesivir, together with uh, ventilation protocols that basically destroyed people's lungs. And uh, that was the only allowed protocol. Eventually, uh, it was allowed to add steroids to that after uh, um, Pierre Corey was so defamed in his testimony about that topic uh, to Ron Johnson and the Senate. But uh, what was denied and actively suppressed was all kinds of early treatments of course, we know about uh, ivermectin. Um, ivermectin, one of the most widely used essential medicines for humans, according to the World Health Organization, but propagandized by the FDA as unsafe and as a horse medicine. That's clearly false. 807 and a half, you're on the Wake Up Tucson show, getting lots and lots of reaction from my interview with Dr. Robert Malone. Maddie's definitely going to cut that up, and we're going to push that into a YouTube and uh, get that out as fast as possible. And uh, so now we're going we're gonna to have a little more of a fun hour here. That was heavy. That was way heavy. And uh, we always love having uh, visiting with our members of the armed services. It's Tucson Navy Week. I'm sure you've seen plenty of these good people bouncing around at various events or other media outlets. And, of course, they're going to be part of the Tucson Rodeo tomorrow and the parade. And we're happy to welcome Lieutenant Austin Guter from the USS Gabrielle Giffords. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? Very well. Welcome to Tucson. Thank you. It's great to be back. Not your first time as they say nope, <laughs> nope. <laughs> so you are a kid from northern california right correct you were telling me you have definitely some relatives that have been in the navy before yep that would be correct and you you wanted to make this part of your your kind of your life path and but you went to the university of arizona i did so i did uh the naval rotc unit uh commissioned in december 2017 nice. um, great four and a half years of my life and what was what, what what did you study here at the University of Arizona? Uh, I got a bachelor's of science in criminal justice. Okay, in four and a half years, that's a mild Tommy boy, not <laughs> the full seven. So, yep, good job. We appreciate that. My parents are happy for that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what was so what was your path after leaving ROTC in the University of Arizona? Then, how did your where did you go next? So, uh, while I was still at the uh, University of Arizona, I selected my first ship which was the USS New Orleans, uh, based out of San Diego. Uh, when I selected them, I said, they said, cool, they're going to be going on an independent deployment to Australia. I said, this sounds awesome. Can't wait. Uh, moved all my stuff across the desert. I feel there's a butt coming on. Oh, there's a butt coming on. <laughs> I showed up on uh, day one, and my sponsor, uh, who ended up being my sponsor on the USS Gabriel Giffords as well, uh, he said, I uh, hope you like Japan because you're moving there. So uh, I did a total of 36 months on board USS New Orleans. And in that time, I moved uh, the ship from San Diego over to Sasebo, Japan. Okay. How was living in Japan? It was incredible. Very cool <laughs> place. Uh, if you ever get the chance to go, absolutely go and uh, go to 7-Eleven. <laughs> Why 7-Eleven? 7-Eleven uh, is... You know, it's a over there. Everything is uh, done with just a little bit of extra care, and sure. the uh, the food you can get at a Seven Eleven is incredible. The pizza buns, highly recommend. So is this like a, is this like a kind of a char siu bun, but they put pizza stuff inside? They put pizza stuff in it. <laughs> yes, Matthew. There's a lot of really good YouTube videos about this. If you can, if you, if you if you're curious, uh, Emmy Made I think does a bunch of them, and there's a, there's several of them about convenience store food, especially Seven Eleven food okay. in Japan. It's pretty interesting. Good stuff. Definitely, definitely go check it out. The um, I know they uh, that uh, on Christmas Day KFC is very big on uh, in it is. Japan. It is. You have to get your order in uh, weeks in advance. <laughs> have you ever done KFC uh, in Japan for Christmas? I have not. Okay. I assume you're just eating grub with the crew <laughs> on, the, on the ship. Um, so, so, uh, and again, at your age, at that age, right, going to Japan, just like another universe, right? It was. <laughs> it was a great experience. Um, I loved every moment of it. Uh, it definitely is an opportunity to see kind of a completely different world. Um, Sasebo is a little tiny fishing town in. 
uh, the southern more southern part of the island. Um, so very warm weather. Everybody is very supportive of the military base that's there. Um, and actually, English is very prominent there, so it doesn't feel like you're you know completely out of your element. They call it the Rocky Point of Japan. It's the same thing. <laughs> now- I've been to Rocky Point, so I know <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> uh, all right, so talk about the move to the Gabby Giffords. So once I finished my tour on uh, on board USS New Orleans. Uh, they give you a, a sheet and you put, you know, your top five choices of the job you want, the ship you want, and the location it wants to be out of. Um, and I said, please send me back to San Diego. And they said, well, we have a ship for you. Uh, so I got a letter or I got an email back from a placement. They said, congratulations, you're going to go be the electronics materials officer on board USS Gabriel Giffords, homeported in San Diego, California. Nice job. What's an electronics materials officer do? Uh, so I'm billeted as that. That is my that is my day-to-day job uh, when I'm on board. And I, um, my, I, my sailors that work for me are running the radars, running the antennas, uh, troubleshooting the networks. Um, they own the computers. Uh, we walk around with radios and those radios are, uh, they're owned by us. So anything that is electronic uh, or has some kind of a network interface, that's, uh, that's equipment that we own. And that's what my sailors, the, my uh, internet tech, or excuse me, information technicians and electronic technicians take care of. So you operate and maintain. Operate and maintain. Gotcha. Uh, and then also you, um, you're, 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 you're driving the ship once in a while. I, I drive the ship once in a while. Uh, <laughs> We just got to have an extended um, repair availability. So we had a lot of work done on our engines uh, and successfully we got her out to sea last week and we did 35 knots driving around Southern California. Uh, 35 knots, you don't feel a single swell in the ocean and <laughs> it's really cool to be going that fast. What kind of ship is the USS Gabby Giffords? USS Gabby Giffords is a LCS-10, so a littoral combat ship. It's a independence variant, so um, a two-class uh, it's got the trimaran hull, so if you think of a catamaran with you know those two amas that sit in the water, right? Uh, we have a main body uh, in between the two okay. arms of a of a, what would be a normal catamaran. How long is this thing? Four hundred eighteen feet. How many uh, sailors? Uh, right now we have seventy sailors on board, uh, including twelve officers. Okay, and. Um how did you get into the the driving part? Was that something you wanted to do or they identified you as a mature adult who could handle it? What, what was going on here? So as a, as a surface warfare officer, we are trained in ship driving. Um, when you go to your first ship, they make you stand conning officer, which is, you know, giving commands to, uh, the helm. And it's more of like a traditional, you know, if you watch the movie Greyhound where he's yelling, you know, left standard rudder, right standard rudder, and the, the helm is moving the wheel over and the rudders are going over and then the ship goes that direction. Um, the littoral combat ship is based off of a small crew construct. Uh, and so the ship driving is done by the officer of the deck, uh, which is myself. Um, and we have, we call them combinators and it's a, basically a, a lever and a, a jog wheel to make our buckets go, you know, left 30 degrees, right 30 degrees, as well as go, um, give the thrust in vectors of forward or backwards direction. The, uh, so when you first drove solo, how did that, how did, were you good? Were you, were you feeling a little nervous? How did that, how did that experience go? Uh, honestly with. To drive the littoral combat ship, you have to go through about uh, nine weeks of schooling, uh, about 40 hours in the simulator uh, before you're allowed to actually touch the ship uh, in real life. But uh, it's it has a decent attrition rate um, for ship for surface warfare officers, and uh, those that make it through the school are are very high quality ship drivers. Uh, I mean, the ship is unbelievably maneuverable. We can walk it left to right without making any forward or aft motion. We can you know make it spin 360 without going anywhere. Um, the ship is incredibly, incredibly maneuverable. Wow. Very cool. It's Navy week in Tucson. Always a big thing here on Wake Up Tucson. I'm glad uh, that we could have uh, Lieutenant Guter here on the Wake Up Tucson show. Huey Northern, Lewis. Northern California guy. That Huey. is true, Huey Lewis. You are correct. Just like our guest, Lieutenant Austin Guter, USS Gabrielle Giffords. He's in Tucson for uh, Naval Week. Uh, are you going to be in the, the rodeo parade tomorrow? I will be. Beautiful. So there's, there's going to be a, a wagon just full of naval guys and girls? I believe just the USS Tucson is going to have their float. Uh, there will be two other sailors from the USS Gabriel Giffords and I walking uh, in the parade as well, though. Very cool. So USS Tucson rides, you guys walk. That's okay. I love it. That's great. It's not that far of a walk. You it's not that far of a walk. Um, 
what I was going to say to you. Oh, so let's let, let's get into some real, the real questions, as they say. So I asked this of anyone from the military who visits, right? So what are one, two, or three movies that deal with the Navy that you guys really that you really dig that you figures it gets the dynamics of it? It feels a little closer to real. What would that be? Well, the the classic movie that we all watch during ROTC is uh, Master and Commander. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I love it. You, you can't beat it. You know, it <laughs> it teaches a lot of old time tactics. Uh, it teaches a lot of you see a lot of references to history and the way our ranks are done, the way um, the way we say things. You know, there's a lot of old English within the Navy. So uh, if you got to watch one, at least watch that one. Uh, I would also say I can't believe they never made more of those. Right? There's so many books based on that, that that based on and it did well and Russell Crowe was great in that movie yeah Russell Crowe as a uh, Lord Admiral Nelson was uh he was a great he's a great actor for that he uh, was it was perfect all right what's another one uh, another one well unfortunately they don't have a movie about the LCSs yet but uh <laughs> hopefully there will be one coming one day uh but Tom Hanks's uh Greyhound was was a great movie okay um that watching that movie you can kind of see how uh traditional war we call them legacy warships. Um, you know, your destroyers, your LPDs, your your cruisers. So um, I did not watch Greyhound. So what era is this happening? Is World the, War Two? Oh, World War Two. Okay. World War Two. He's uh, out in the Atlantic uh, hunting for submarines. Okay. Um, I, great movie. I'll have to watch this flick. Um, but other than that, I think those are those are my go tos. What's the ones where you guys look at and you go, uh, crap? Oh, well, everybody, everybody <laughs> in the surface navy. Uh, Loves to hate it, but also loves to watch it. But uh, Battleship. <laughs> you can't beat it. It's great. It gets the people going. Uh, but it, there's nothing factual about it. <laughs> it might be the aliens that give it away. I don't know. Right. So Battleship, Liam Neeson, right? Rihanna. <laughs> Who's the really hot blonde who was the... Uh, Kate Upton? I think she's in it, too. I honestly don't I remember. Anyway, so I don't remember anything else in that movie. But So basically, based on the, on the board game, Battleship, yep. right? But of course, Battleship the game never had aliens in it. But there's Did not. it's kind of a mix of naval, little Pacific Rim water thing kind of going on. It's got that. It's got that vibe to it. So yes, Brooklyn Decker. Thank you. <laughs> Who actually did her, uh, her her photo shoot at White Stallion Ranch so many years ago here in Tucson? So, well played, Brooklyn. That movie it's like the, it's like the guilty pleasure movie of the Navy. It really? is. It is. Let's go to uh, the potentate of sports, according to ESQ. Big word like delicatessen again. Ryan Larson, welcome aboard. Thanks, Chris. How are you doing? Not too bad. Uh, I heard uh, you and Matt were talking about the uh, the Pac-12 and whether or not they're going to do something with their network. Uh, what are you hearing out there? Anything? Yeah, I mean, the thing with Pac-12 news and conference realignment as a whole is you have to recognize that probably about 90% of the reporting, maybe 95, is going to be wrong. Right. It's, it's, conference reporting is notoriously finicky, and this the Pac-12 current uh, media rights deal negotiation is, is no different in that respect. But what we're hearing from the Pac-12 right now is that the, the most likely outcome for a new media rights deal for the Pac-12 is that they're going to sign some combo of a deal with ESPN and Apple Plus, where a large percentage of the Pac-12's games end up on streaming. And on Apple Plus, which is one of the lowest used streaming services, that's not great. <laughs> I think the, I think those sounds are accurate because Pac-12 is, is renegotiating their media deal to try and hold the conference together. The motivation for this is to keep Oregon and Washington happy. They want to keep the the four corner schools, the Arizona schools, and Utah and Colorado. So, um, so we're talking about so Apple TV, right? As you will rightly say, one of the lowest uh, number of subscribers out there. Okay. And you know it'll go it'll go up a little bit when Ted Lasso season three goes up, okay. But sure. so I noticed that I was when we Matt and I were talking about it. So um, they signed a two and a half billion with a B with MLS. All right, Major League Soccer. Did Major League right. Soccer move all of their coverage to M to Apple, or is that still a partial deal that they're doing something with e e the ESPN, as Bobby Boucher's father once said? The way I understand it is, is that it's all on Apple TV now, and that Ugh, subscribers to so Apple stupid. TV can pay essentially for like NFL Sunday Ticket type coverage, where they can get every single game on Apple TV Thank if they Jesus. really want to watch the MLS for some reason. <laughs> Which I'm sure that there's a large demand for that. 
I find MLS some of the most boring soccer humanly out there, and the the personalities are boring. And my 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 serious XMFC, they're forcing them because the season opens this weekend. They're they're always doing a segment where they do you know interview from media day, and I'm just literally I've I've literally almost fallen asleep at the wheel. Like I'm listening to Zach Yenser talk, and um, I, so on, so putting it all on Apple TV just sounds you don't doesn't sound like you want to grow a game at that point. You just need the money yeah, so bad. That's the competing interest we're looking at. Because if you put it all on Apple TV, where so Apple TV is the ninth most used uh, subscriber serv- su- streaming subscription service. If you put it all on a- Apple TV, the coaches are going to be upset about this because this is going to hurt recruiting for them because <laughs> they're going to go into recruit homes and they're going to say, well, if you want to watch your son play, you have to sign up for this media service that you're pretty much never going to use for anything else. And families aren't going to want their kids to go to schools where they can't watch their kids play. It hurts the, the visibility of your school. And then that, that's just going to make everything harder for these coaches. But on the other side, if this is the opportunity for the Pac-12 schools to get as much money as possible, the powers in charge are probably going to go for that because that's what these media deals are all about. It's not necessarily about increasing your visibility. That's just a fun talking point. What they're really doing is just trying to get as much money as possible for each school so that these schools don't bolt to a conference that is offering them more money in the future. So these competing interests between the fan experience and the coaches who want to actually be able to watch games and the schools that want to get money, the money is going to win out because the, the, the schools, when they're getting paid, they frankly don't care that much about your fan experience. They don't care too much about winning games, provided that the money is there. And so if this ends up, it ends up happening, it's not going to be great for the Pac-12 as a product. It's not going to be a great long-term solution, but if people take a short-sighted approach, which, you know, George Klaikoff, who is trying to keep his job and keep his conference together, he's going to be far more inclined to take that short-sighted approach than play the long game at this point. So, you know, the market will determine, right? So I'm looking at this article from the New York Post by Andy Marchan, and, you know, one of the statement paragraphs is about how ESPN, Amazon Prime, and Fox Sports are pretty lukewarm on the Pac-12. Mm. Yep. Right. Yeah. So th- th- there's not a market really. It's ESPN. It's Apple Plus, and outside of that, the question is who's left because all these other potential big players have already backed out. Well, the other thing is the you know the, so the ESPN right is they got enough to do with SEC Network and all they're doing over there. And and if you looked at ESPN, they've been firing people left and right over there. They are definitely not in a growth model yeah. uh, right now. So. Um, so for all of you who are, are uh, direct TV people who are pissed that you still can't watch a Pac-12 game, right? Don't you worry. It's going to get worse. <laughs> <laughs> Might not be any different going forward. <laughs> Unless you really love Apple products. And then maybe... And, and, and half of those fans are Android people. And so. I, think it's, I think it's all going to go this way. I get it. I get that's the, you know, uh, people are cutting the cord, right? People are switching over to streaming service, YouTube TV, all sorts of things. But I, I think they're getting a little bit ahead of themselves, and they, I think they should hedge their bet with more traditional delivery me- methods, uh, uh, channels. Well, so yeah, you would love to hedge. You would love to hedge, but the money's just not there for them for many of the big networks. Like like Chris said, you know, Fox is out because they're all in on the Big Ten. Uh, ESPN could potentially be a partner, but they are paying for the SEC. They already have a partnership deal with the Big Twelve. Really, the Pac-12 selling point to these networks that are non-streaming is you get to televise games in the Pacific time zone. But how much of a selling point is that really when these teams have already bundled billions of dollars into televising other college football games? The money just might not be there to get onto a network in a way that will make the schools happy. So when you look at your market, right, and you say... Who's making up your, your your fan base, right? So you're going to have your older fans, right? Then you got to hook the younger fans, which I don't know if the younger mm-hmm. fans are getting into football and college football and basketball like this generation. So there is a there is a some sort of careful judo flip that you have to execute, right? So the moment you put it on Apple TV, you're going to basically alienate anyone over the age ninety percent of anyone over the age of fifty five, right? And they'll just, they'll just, yeah. they'll, they'll just, I'm just, just the way it is. They'll, they'll, they'll figure out that, that they, they, they'll find out it wasn't that important in their lives mm. is what they're going to find out. Right. And so, um, I guess the, the diehard U of a basketball fan will figure it out and they'll say, all right, I'll, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I have Peacock, the, the NBC station. 
the NBC streaming only because mm-hmm. I want those other Premier League games. So I pay right. four and a half bucks a month. I think Apple TV is like six bucks a month last yep. time I checked. All right. So it's kind of the fact of I'll do it for that. So, but again, I, 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 I'm, you know, I'm a little, I may be a little hipper than the average, you know, uh, cat out there. I, I cut the cord years ago on this whole thing. So, and I love Premier League and it's, it's a, it's a compelling enough product for me. Right. So I think U of A basketball will be a compelling enough product, but U of A football is not a compelling enough product yet for people to go, you know, I got to get Apple TV so I can watch us on a road game at Cal Poly Abysmo, right? Yeah, I think <laughs> I think you're pretty much right, Chris. I think for me, I don't have Apple TV, but if the Pac-12 ends up on there, I will get Apple TV because I want to watch Utah, I want to watch Arizona. But if you're a random college football fan living in, like, Orlando and you really love the Florida Gators, you're not going to get Apple TV to watch a Colorado versus Washington State football game at 11 o'clock your time. That's, that's just not going to happen. So you might still keep some of your reach on the West Coast if you're the Pac-12 and you go to Apple TV. But the casual football fans, which are so important to driving up TV dollars for the Big Ten and the SEC because casual fans are watching those games, they are not going to tune into Apple TV to watch a mediocre Pac-12 game. It's just not going to happen. And so you're going to lose a huge amount of your national reach, and you're only going to become even more regionalized as a conference for the Pac-12 if you end up on streaming. Let's go to uh, YouTube superstar, uh, U.S. Congressman David Schweiker. David, you're on with Chris and uh, Jonathan Hoffman. What's up, bud? Yeah, you, you make fun of my YouTubes. But you got to admit, it is a weird world when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, people are willing to watch, um, you know, some idiot giving them an hour lecture on how screwed we are over the debt. <laughs> well, what's great about it, too, is I noticed you, 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 uh, when you're on the House floor, you like to, you're like one of these Instagram girls taking pictures of themselves, like in front of a fancy restaurant. Hey, you're like, hey, I don't know how it happened, but I had like 400,000 views yesterday on my <laughs> thing about Social Security going crapped out in 10 years. I just, <laughs> it's sim- well, similar hey, dynamic. Look, I, I'm going to go slightly the different direction because I don't like the way you went. Um, Shocking. <laughs> I actually consider it incredibly hopeful. Um, it, 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 you and I have been having these conversations now for years. Yep. And a couple of years ago, you know, even you would get impact like, you know, input that, well, this isn't interesting. You know, why Schweiker does such a downer? No one wants to hear numbers on the radio. No one cares. And now all of a sudden, like in the last year and a half or so, people seem to say, hey, maybe it is a big deal that I retire in 10 years and the day I retire, Social Security will already have cut my check by 23% because the trust fund's gone. Oh, and by the way, the Transportation Trust Fund, the Social Security Disability Trust Fund, the Medicare Trust Fund, actually, Social Security Disability has a little longer, but the Medicare Trust Fund's gone. Um, and, and, and these aren't little rounding errors. The hardest part is how do you communicate the scale of these dollars? You know, because you get the brain trust. If you ever read the comments, which will half the comments, you realize America's getting it. The other half the comments, these people need to go back on the Prozac. Um, just get rid of congressional salaries. That takes care of the problem. Just get rid of foreign aid. So and you keep showing. Okay, all of foreign aid is like twelve to fourteen days of borrowing out of a year. Let's go to your uh, Tucker Carlson interview. Um, of all the things we've ever talked about, you and I have never talked about whether or not we know everything about the JFK assassination. What? How did how how, how did this coming out? Why now? Um, look, I have this, I know I mostly do economic stuff, but I have this one side theory and, and I'm going to geek out because you're one of the few people who tolerate it. <laughs> um, it's a thing called information theory. It basically means, Hey, you want a society to stick together? Tell them the truth. Right. Just, just let it hang out. You know, Hey, we did something stupid. We did something. Well, it's almost like what you've been learning about COVID. If, um, the, the brain trust had just said, hey, this is what we know today. Guess what? Tomorrow we're going to be wrong because we're going to have new information. They've been willing to change it, but they were too damn arrogant. Um, well, now we have something like the Kennedy Papers. They were, they were all supposed to be released in 2017. That was the law. 
And there was one little catch in there saying, well, but if for national security, for this, for that, or it embarrasses people, uh, and both President Trump and now President Biden have taken about 3% of the documents and either dramatically redacted them or not released them. And, and when you do that, I think you create more problems in society than you do whoever or whatever you're protecting. Um, tell us the truth. Apparently, Americans are like adults. You know, they may not be happy, but they can handle it. So I guess the question is, did you think about introducing a bill like this when Trump was president or why now? Oh, no, we've had versions of this sort of thing of much broader access to public documents. This one just popped about six weeks ago when the Biden administration chose not to release, um, you know, so functionally continue an extension on this. So basically, there, the, I guess the thing is, is that whatever the three is in the three percent, both the Trump and uh, Biden administration think it's basically so horrible that the United States, the, the citizens trust in government will even fall deeper into the toilet. Well, but there becomes the problem. We have no idea. They right. give this nice platitude saying, well, you know, it's been 60 years since the assassination. Um, and but we're not going to release this for national security purposes. And it lets the imaginations go crazy places. Um, and we've had occasions like this where we have forced the government to release something and you get it and you go, that's what they were embarrassed about. Or right. that's hurt someone's feelings. Um, and other things we found out that they've done outrageous things. Um, if you if you can't stand up and particularly this president give speeches about you know there's no one trusts institutions anymore and then have the institutions hide information right well i guess the question is you know i, I assume there's democrats a bunch of democrats that will vote against this because biden doesn't want it right mm-hmm. and can you can you I, I still think this is when i can get through the house um senate now, senate will be fascinating well Yes, it will be, because you, you have some very interesting personalities when it comes to the security state in the Senate. Well, Congressman Schweikert, thanks for a nice half hour as always, sir. I wish you good things. And back, and back to the discussion we had earlier, Jonathan, with Schweikert about gender ideology, right? We'll just redefine the word, the def- definition of the word is. Yeah, the, the thing about gender is that it's a grammatical term. It's not a sub. It's not a synonym for sex. They're two different disassociated things. They're vaguely associated in that they both have mas- have masculine and feminine terms used for attributes. But gender is a grammatical term. There, it's an abstraction. Sex is what people have, so to speak. Right. But people don't have gender. Words have gender. People have sex. Don't confuse the two because that's how you commandeer. You change reality by commandeering the abstract. And then once you can commandeer the physical reality and change that in people's minds, then you've got the uh, world by the uh, by the neck. Well, and you, you, have a, you have a society that we all we're doing is breaking down into our, all we're doing is going back to the tribalism, right? They, yep. just, they just figured out how to make, just, do, uh, just, just, sh- just make it uh, like a shattered mirror, man. The, the, the tribalism is just off the yeah, wall. Yeah, and the ultimate in tribalism is um, multi-generation guilt, right? And that's, that's what you're seeing now with, with the woke business, that uh, white people are bad because they're ancest- they carry the guilt of ancestors. And that is a primitive tribal thing that we theoretically had moved beyond a long time ago. Again, I know tribalism is human nature, but the powers that be are taking advantage of it and pushing it to the hilt right yeah. now. So yeah. it's, it's a step backwards. We have our friend Juan Almanza from El Taco Rustico. Good morning. What's up, my friend? Very good. Nah, no much. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Happy birthday. 29, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah, very well good. Played. <laughs> well played. So I, I saw that your wife, you guys, you guys took a little trip for your birthday earlier this week. Yes. And then you're like, hey, my birthday is actually today. And you said, Cynthia, your wife has been basically celebrating this thing for a week. Uh-huh. So... 
you know, you're so well known for your birria and your costilla and all this other stuff, but yes, we're in the middle of Lent. It's a Lenten Friday, and I said, hey, let's feature some of the stuff in relation to what you would eat on a, on a Lenten Friday, and you brought us this big, beautiful tray of stuff today. Oh, yeah. What's on there? Oh, I, tr- I make these uh, machaca tacos. We're going to make a crispy and soft tacos of machaca. It's a mahi-mahi fish. Incidentally, yeah. that mahi mahi was excellent. <laughs> I, I already wolfed one of those down. He did. <laughs> and then uh, we have it, obviously the chile rellenos is something really traditional uh, dish for Lent in Mexico. So we're gonna have a chile rellenos. Uh, it's only cheese on the in the relleno. It's not sure. meat. So we I'm gonna make that, and then I'm gonna make the ceviche. Okay. So I don't bring ceviche for you today because it's not ready. That's okay. But the lentil salad is gonna be delicious too. It's my this is my second salad that the Rustico ever make. Okay, so you brought us this beautiful cold lentil salad. I didn't give you any, Matt. I'll bring it to you. Um, this is going to be available at yes. Rustico? Yeah. Oh, very uh, nice. Everything's going to be available, at least for Fridays. Okay. Uh, what's the secret to a good chili relleno? Because many have tried and not many have succeeded. Um, it's the first dish I learned to make in my home when I was like nine years old. Thank you. And... Um, it's, uh, I learned a lot about the chiles rellenos, but the first thing, you have to roast the chiles, but don't overcook it. Sure. Because uh, if you overcook the chiles, when you start working those, it's going to fall everything. So you're basically, you're roasting until it just gets a little soft? Mm-hmm. Until you can peel. Okay. The, the roasting thing is because you have to peel the, the, the skin. The outside, the skin off, yep. So uh, you have to roast it really nice. You can burn the skin, that's not a problem. Oh, okay. But... Uh, the, you have to leave like a, for like five minutes in the in the plastic bag and then throw in a salt water. Ah. The salt water is going to give you flavor to the chili. So I've and never then, done that. And that's the No, nobody does that. Then you, and then when you throw in hot, it's a little hot water, so you throw the, the temperature down. Is that after you take the skin off or you, you put that in there with the skins? Uh, with, uh, you can put with the skin there. Okay. Actually, right. the salt make you peel really oh, easy. Oh, it makes to, it easier, yeah, mm-hmm. to peel it and off. And then yeah. the, the, it, it, when you, if you leave it, the chili rellenos on the table on the back, you're going to keep cooking it because the heat is going to keep right. cooking the chili. Yeah, so the water cools The water cools cool yeah. down. Got it. So you have a crispy chili when you start working with this. You yeah. are. I learned that like 30 years ago. Who taught you that? Uh, uh, Regina Nogales, Sonora. <laughs> and uh, I work in a, in a cafeteria Lourdes like three years ago. Okay. And they these ladies are really good cooks. That's amazing. Because I always stop at, I, I do steam them right after mm-hmm. I roast them. And then I run them under a little cold water as I'm taking the, the, the skin skins off, off yeah. right? Yeah. And then I don't, I don't do the, 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 the salt water thing. So No, the, the salt water give you flavor to the chili too. Because right. the chili without salt, it's like a... No great taste. So this whole water give it flavor to the chili. So usually a chili relleno batter, right, is one where you, you, you tell me if I'm wrong, okay? Usually you would separate the egg yes. and the and the, and yeah, the white, the whites, right? Huh? You beat up the white and then you fold them all back together again. Yep. Yeah, you have to uh, mi- uh, separate and then mix the egg whites until they get it really uh, frothy. frothy. Yeah. And then you have to add the, the, the yolks with a little bit of uh, flour, salt, pepper. And mix all together, really, really good. Okay. Then you have to put the mix really like a really hard. Then you start cooking. Okay. And then you have to do fast because the egg is gonna go watery. All right. Well, again, they they, they look amazing. I haven't, I, I didn't have time to eat one yet, but. And actually, in my hometown, they make the chile rellenos with the picadillo. You can make with the uh, ground beef. Sure. Or with um, cheese or with um, uh, shrimp. Use I, I, I like it with beef Just or don't shrimp use ring. the shrimp ring, though. Oh, no shrimp no, ring. No shrimp We're not ring. using shrimp ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the chile rellenos is... In Mexico, you can find chile rellenos of anything. Veracruz, they do the jalapeños. Right. Rellenos. Oh, my God. That's so <laughs> <laughs> I do like a good torito. Yeah. Right? So, if I can find it. Again, the only one I like is... Those uh, are from Sonora. Those yeah. are... I love Toritos. But. To me, Merendero is the best I've had so far. I remember Ramon making Toritos. Because <laughs> <laughs> you used to work with him years ago, right? Yeah. 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 So the, I've had other ones on the Toritos. What I don't like about them, if they use a jalapeno for a Torito... Okay. The problem is is that the um, they don't cook the, the pepper enough. And so it's, it's too crispy. Correct. 
it's yeah. too hard. You know what I mean? And so he uses those little Caribe chiles. That's yeah. That's, that's supposed to be have to be the Caribe. Yeah, I like Chile those. Wedito. I like those. I like those better. So uh, you were telling us uh, is this tomorrow. You're going to Scottsdale. Mm-hmm. So you're in this Devour Food Festival. Yep. And this, you're you're representing the Gastronomic Union of Tucson. Yeah, we are five uh, five chefs from Tucson, from GAT, and then we go to Phoenix to this festival. It's gonna be fun. So you're gonna be representing Tucson in the big city, and uh, you have four items that you're basically collaborating on. Yeah, yeah, we make it also. Awesome. I'm a part of this. All right. Awesome. Let's oh, and his wife is is at Rito. Just oh, remember that's true. that. Yes. Remember, yes. Everybody. Upstairs on the grandstand. Upstairs in the grandstand. That's right. <laughs> that's again. It's the best food options you got. Um, you, the, you, you, you told them about possibly a TV show. Can you say that on on the air? Well, yeah. Carnival Eats is has uh, approached uh, Mutz ab- about doing it, and they, they'd like to do several vendors, and certainly I want to include Juan in that as well. But uh, nationally syndicated show is interested in uh, doing the food options at uh, Rito. Awesome. Cool. That's a great thing. Yeah. Uh, let's get Ted on the line, 790-2040. Ted, you're on with Chris Mark and Juan Almanza from El Taco Rustico. What's up? Juan, love your food. <laughs> Thank and I you. I have a question. There's yeah? a dish I love that's from the Monterey, Nuevo Laredo area. Uh-huh. We found it once also in Mexico City in a specialty restaurant, which is uh, Cabrito al Carbón. Cabrito al Pastor. Pastor, yeah, spread out on uh, like they looks like a kite, and then that it's cooked over charcoal. You know, it I I raise I raise cabritos. I have a right now like a six babies, and I supposed yeah. to raise it for do that as my I I do that for my friends. I have some customers. They call me for make this special the cabrito. Wow! Wow! And then uh, I have it uh, six oh. babies. You have to cook uh, yeah. the cabrito before they start eating uh, alfalfa or like any food. Meal. They have to eat, yeah, right. eat like only meal. the milk from the mom. Oh, so that oh, so right. when they start eating solid food like that, it does no taste change. No uh-huh. good. Yep. And then they, when they start their babies, uh, they have a little veal. Yep. Right. They have it around the kidneys. They have a big also uh, fat, baby fat. It's <laughs> the flavor for yeah. all the cabrito. And then you start roasting, and this fat cover all the cabrito. Wow. And it's the most delicious thing. Wow. I cook, I, I cook, uh, when he, I was in the swamp meat, I cook in cabrito sometimes. This this feels perfectly yeah. in time. Uh, this will be in time for, this sounds like a great Easter meal. <laughs> the cabrito. Yeah, probably. So. It's, it's delicious. And yeah, it's a, and, and my hometown, they sell it like, like in the same way in the Mo- that Monterrey. They roast it, they have windows, yeah. display windows. And they have the big cabritos just turning in the, in the charcoal. Wow. That, well, if you get the room and the the herd of goats large enough to offer that in your restaurant, it would be a wonderful treat. It's gonna, It's really hard here to find the cabrito and the perfect uh, age to cook age. for that. And yep. uh, uh, Monterrey, it's a lot of families. They raise cabritos <coughs> for thousands. So you can find it really easy. But sure. Here in, in America, it's really hard yeah. to get a cabrito. Thanks, Teddy. <laughs> have, a, have a good weekend. So remember, El Taco Rustico, Grant and Oracle. He has, we're, we're talking about some of his stuff that he's featuring for uh, Lenten Fridays, right? All the way through uh, Good Friday. He's got this amazing lentil salad. You're doing your fish tacos. The shrimp rojitos are amazing. Yep. Right? Which are literally like a shrimp version of a quesadilla, right? Yep. Exactly. And then these chili rellenos, which we're going to start digging into. And then I'm going to make ceviche too. And then ceviche. So what's the hours of operations for El Taco Rustico? It's Tuesday to Sunday from 7 in the morning to 9. And his breakfast burritos are freaking amazing. I just want to tell everyone that. I mean, I love what you, but your breakfast burritos are... No, they're very good, too. Very <laughs> filling, too. You don't walk out of there hungry. Yeah, that could be one you could split with your your your, your better half. Just oh, yeah. get it and cut that sucker in half, and you'll still be yeah, pretty disciplined. good. So, all right, my friend. Thanks for uh, thanks for sharing the Thank love, you. as always. Have a great uh, Devour Food Festival with the crew tomorrow. Uh-huh. And happy birthday. Thank you. So, okay, everybody. All right, that's the great Juan Almanza, El Taco Rustico.